Well, it's good to be here. Um, yeah, even if it's a small group, this is awesome. And I pray that today, that as we share, you would be encouraged. The, the title of the message, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking this is the title of the message. If, if, if Soundman comes up with another one, that's okay. But I, I would like us to see freedom, okay? I know we celebrated July 4th yesterday, but I want us to see freedom in the Father, like understanding freedom by a good, good Father. Um, and, and, and as we go through, there's several different passages I want to go through, just emphasizing freedom in the Father, understanding who He is. And I think one of the reasons that we have a struggle, like one of the reasons there's a lot, big struggle in understanding freedom by a heavenly father is that we start off on a wrong basis. We start off on a basis of a, of a father that's angry and wants to just beat you for everything you've ever done wrong. And recognizing that, G, that the father put his wrath on Jesus on the cross. And I want you to think about the amount of cat nine whips and the, 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 the beatings that he took. And he was beaten to a place where he didn't even look human at all. And then he was nailed to a cross. And so he didn't even look human. Even humanity was beaten away from him. But he took all this for you and I. And I want you to to think of something. Did he pay enough or do you somehow have to pay more? Did he pay enough or do you have to pay more? In all reality, sometimes in our humanness, we have this idea that somehow we have to pay more. And that may sound really humble and holy to other human beings. But to God, it's completely arrogance. It's complete arrogance. Because we're saying that what you did to your son on the cross wasn't enough. I somehow have to pay more. We don't accept the full payment that he gave it was enough and when he died on that cross he said these words at the very end he said it is finished and the, and the question i have like just to ask yourself is is it finished is it finished in you do you believe do you will you agree with the words it is finished whatever that it is in your life is it finished Is sin finished in your life? Is everything finished in your life? Or are you trying to still get it right? Do we understand the payment that he gave? Or are you still the one trying to get it right? Or will you accept what he did? Okay? And and in correlation to all this here, I have a couple passages I want to dig into. And the first one is going to be in John chapter 5. So you can turn there. John chapter 5, verses 1 through 9. And it says this. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, there is in Jerusalem, by the Sheep Gate, a pool in Aramic, Aramic it called, it's called Bethesda, which was five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. And in the ESV, they cut out verse 4, and I don't know why. But so I have it written here. For an angel of God would periodically descend into the pool to stir the waters, and the first one who stepped into the pool after the waters swirled would instantly be healed. 
Then verse 5, it says, One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? I'm going to come back to some of this. The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the water when the water is stirred up. And while I am going, while I'm going, like toward the water, another steps down before me. Apparently, when the waters would bubble, only the, 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 the idea was that only the first person that would step in would actually be healed. So there was this whole group of people that were laying underneath these roof port, these porch roofs of this colonnade. And then Jesus, okay, when, when I go to get in, one steps down before me. And Jesus said to him in verse 8, says, said to him, get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and walked. Now, I want to come jump back to something here. I want you to see something in the idea that there was by the pool, there was this colonnade that had five porch roofs, like five porch roofs or alleyways or aisles that were covered with a roof. And I understand I understand that these five roofs represented the Torah, okay? Maybe you never heard this before. I'm just throwing it out there because it represented the Torah or the book of the law. And these five roofs, when, and, and the concept I want you to see in this whole idea is that if we lay under the law, there is no healing under the law. If it were possible, Jesus would have never had to come. If it were possible to be healed under the law, then Jesus died in vain. He died for no reason. If it were possible to find life under that law, then Jesus had no reason to come. Now, um, one of the things I see in this whole thing is that um, hundreds of sick people were lying there on these porches waiting to get into this water. And when Jesus comes walking up, he asked a question. He said, do you want to be healed? And we often look at that as a future or a, uh, what would you call that, like a, a question like for the future. Do you want to be like it's, like it's out there? Do you want to be healed? And doing some research on this here, it appears like in the Greek writing, in the original writings of this here, there's not a good English word to actually put in place here. And the idea was Jesus in all reference was saying, do you believe this is all there is for you? Because if you believe that's all there is for you, then that's all there is for you. Okay, I, I want you to see this. What are you agreeing with? If you believe this is all there is for you, then you will remain right here, right here where you're at. But if you believe there is more, then he says, take up your mat and walk. And he took it up. And the thing about it is, is uh, my question is this. What is it that we, the, the place where we lay down and just say, you know what, this is just all there is for me. Everything from here on out, I have to figure out. I, there is no more unless I get it figured out. That man could have spent the next 38 years there still trying to figure it out, laying under the roof of the law, trying to figure out how he can get into that water. Um, and Jesus is saying, wait a minute. Do you really believe this is all there is for you? And the man made an excuse and said, you know, well, I have no one to put me in. Yeah, 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 I understand all that. But do you believe this is all there is for you? 
And so he just looked at the man. He says, take up your mat and walk. So the man takes up the mat, which represents the idea, what is it that we hang on to that keeps us stale? What is it that we hang on to that keeps us downplaying who God says we are? What is it that we actually hang on to that keeps it like, I'm afraid to get too excited for Jesus because I don't know what people might think. It's like, what, what is it that keeps us hanging on to this downplaying of, well, <clears throat> you know, whatever it is. I don't believe that anything more could happen. You know, like, I just don't think there could be something else. What is it? Will you roll the mat up and start walking? And watch the glory of God come alive. Watch what happens inside of us when we actually have an anticipation for more. What is it that he wants to do more? Because that man, I really believe that he just thought that was, that, was, that was his existence. And maybe by chance, if he gets figured out how someone could help him into that water, maybe he could actually be healed. Now, let me just say this. When he said that no one can help me into the water, what he didn't realize is that he was waiting for an angel to stir up that water and start bubbling again so he could get in it and be healed. What he didn't realize is the bubbler was standing right before him. The one who brings joy and life and healing and deliverance and salvation was standing right before him. And he's still trying to figure out how to get in to this place because that was what the norm was in that culture right there. That was the norm. What is it that we get caught up in sometimes that we're afraid to actually agree with the bubbler who's standing right in front of us, who's saying, life, life, life. Uh, uh, he wants to give it to us. He really does. And it's like, what would it take to roll up a mat? And, that, and that only you can answer that. What is the mat that we tend to hang on to that keeps us from really being fully alive or healed or delivered or set free from whatever it is that binds us down and keeps us shut down, even in our spirit? Okay, I want to move on with that. Um, I want to switch over to, uh, because I want us to see that the healing is in the good, good, the, the, the Father actually made it possible for every one of us to be healed, delivered, set free, uh, healed in spirit, healed from lies, healed from all kinds of things, even diseases, okay? And some people say, well, how come it doesn't, you know, how come it doesn't always, not everybody I pray for gets healed? Joe, Joe's wife, I think of that, you know, it's like, wait a minute, not everybody gets healed. So why don't that happen? And I just want to caution one thing. We tend to try and make doctrines out of what didn't happen. Okay. Just, just, I just, can I use that for a second? Just with uh, uh, Katie, like it's easy to try and make doctrines. Well, see, it didn't work. You know I mean, she didn't get healed in, in, in this earth right here. She didn't get healed right there from her cancer. And so many times we get caught on that and we go, and then we start building doctrines. Well, we probably didn't pray right. Or maybe, well, see, praying like that don't work because you see what happened here. And Jesus never told us to try and figure out why it don't happen or why it does. He just simply said to pray for the sick and heal them. He asked us to go out and heal and deliver and set free. He asked us to do that continually. Why it don't happen, maybe someday we'll get answers, okay? I'm just saying, like, but we're not, we don't, we dare not build doctrines on what didn't happen. We only build doctrines on what Jesus told us to do. And he told us to go. Go and pray for the sick and, 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 and breathe the kingdom. Announce that the kingdom's here. Cast out demons, pray for the sick, heal the sick, cast out demons, and announce that the kingdom's here. And that's what we're called to do. That's what we build doctrines on is the things that he told us to do. Okay? Not what didn't happen. 
and try and figure out, well, did, did I do it right? Was I good enough? No, this isn't even about you. <laughs> He's just asking you to go so he can breathe through you to situations all around us. And if, if everyone I pray for would actually get healed, okay, I want to just throw it out there like this. If everyone I pray for would actually get healed, I would be searched out all over to go pray for everybody that's sick, and, and, and it would become about me. Just, I'm just telling you, okay? Now, I believe there's more healing is available than we're familiar with, but I'm just telling you that I really believe there's a place where not everything happens when I start praying like that there, or, or it would become all about me because we're still human, and it's easy to start getting all caught up into all about me. So anyway. Let's switch over, and I want to show a good, good father through some of this here because he is here. He is the bubbler. He is the one that's bringing healing and deliverance and life. And I want to look at another passage of Scripture that emphasizes this, and that is in the, the kingdom of heaven is like. It's in Matthew chapter 25. And you're welcome to turn to this. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm going to paraphrase much of it. And you know the story of the talents, Okay. It says, it says, it starts off in like verse 14, and it says this. The kingdom of heaven is like, okay? For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one. Each according to his ability but i want you to see this maturity ability a maturity okay if you're able you're mature the more mature you get the more able okay so i'm just saying like i always felt sorry for the guy that just got one talent i'm like well that was nasty (laughs) i want five or ten i mean why why just one i mean poor guy and i thought well i would have probably buried it too i mean i couldn't one day this story became so real on, on, on how we start to prom- we, 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 we base our understanding of God on a lie from the start, we will always bury our talent. When we base the, who God is on a lie from the start, then we will be just like the person that got one talent. And we'll, we'll point this out in a minute. Okay, so then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. He went and gave it his all, what he had. And it came back twofold, okay, double. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents, um, I want to switch over here to something, uh, verse 20. No, no, it's at the end of verse 21. Okay, verse 20. Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. Then verse 21. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. And here I have made two talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. And you have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Now, this can sound like a works mentality. 
I want you to see something. Like in their ability or in their maturity, they were able to take the talents they got that the master gave them, and they automatically, it was part of their nature, part of who they were, and part of what they believed about a good, good father that allowed them to multiply. It wasn't just in the person. I want you to see something here. It wasn't just that, well, they had a good work ethic or they had a good uh, way of figuring out, like, uh, maybe they had a good intellect of finances or, or, like, they understood. No, no. This was the fact where they started off with they knew who the master was. and, And I'll point this out in a minute. But they really knew who the master was. And they knew that he was, that he loved them. He cared for them. So it was easy for them to go out. And multiply their talents. It really was. Now, in verse 24, we'll see here. It says, then the one who had been entrusted with, and I switched it over to another translation up here on my notes. So I'm just going to read it from there. The one who had been entrusted with only one talent came to his master and said, look, sir, I know, I want you to catch this. I know that you are a hard man to please. Lie number one. Lie number one. I want you to catch it. I knew, know that you are a hard man to please, and you're a shrewd and ruthless businessman who grows rich on the backs of others. Whew. Do you see where he started off with the lie? I want you to catch it. He started off with the lie of what he believed about the father before the talents were given to him. The attitude of the servant was, you are so ruthless, you're like a man who expects harvest from a field he didn't even plant. This is what the man that got one talent thought of the father. Ruthless. Arrogant. Making money off of something you didn't even plant. And then verse 25, he says, and I was afraid of you, so I went and hid your money, and I buried it in the ground. But here it is. Take it, it's yours. Verse 26, angered by what he heard, the master said to him, you're an untrustworthy or an evil and lazy servant. If you knew I was shrewd and ruthless, a businessman who always makes a profit, if that's what you believed about me, then why didn't you deposit my money in the offering? It was known in Luke, it talks about it, where you put it in, it comes back like, uh, I don't know if I wrote that down here. It it refers to it in Luke 6, verse 38. The implication is that the money given in the sacred offering to God will be returned with even more by God's generosity. So he's saying, you knew that. So if you knew that, why didn't you at least put it in the offering? Because you knew that it would come back. By my generosity. But you chose to believe the lie that I am a ruthless master. When we start off on a base of God being like that, we have no way of doubling our talents or multiplying our talents. Because we're starting off on a false concept of who God is. Verse 28 says, but because you were unfaithful, I will take the one talent and give, them to the, give it to the one who had ten who has ten now. For the one who has will be given more until he overflows with abundance, and the one with hardly anything, even what little he has, will be taken away. And I want you to catch this, and we know the last verse is that they were thrown into outer darkness. Okay, that's 
that's what I want you to see because if we start off on a basis of God being this ruthless master, we have no way of, of promoting the kingdom at all. At all. If we can see that God put his wrath for you and I on Jesus on the cross, we will start to see the love, the grace, and the mercy that he has for us. And out of us will flow rivers of living water and joy and passion to go forward. And talents are multiplied, multiplied, and multiplied, and multiplied, and multiplied. But when we start off on the basis of God being this ruthless, hard master, there's no hope of your talent being multiplied. Because it's already buried in the lie that you believe about the Father. It gets buried in the lie that you believe about the Father. By implications, the parable is stating this. The one who has a heart of faithful stewardship will be given more to manage. And the one who has very little faithfulness, wisdom, and integrity will lose the little he had failed to manage well. Because he doesn't actually believe that the Father is good. How many times have you heard that God is good all the time? You know, we used to do that in prison all the time, okay? We get, we, then I'd stop and I'd ask them, are you sure? Do we really believe God is good? Will we start off from that premise? Will we start off on that base that God is good so that we can start to see what he wants to do in our life? Because if we start off on the base that he is this angry, wrath. God of, 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 of just waiting to beat you down or to judge you or whatever we think about it and we don't realize the judgment was put on Jesus on the cross, then our talent is already buried in the lie. Now, I want to switch over and we want to, we want to go on a little bit deeper in the, just a couple passages. And at verse 30, the very last one, Then the master said to the other servants, Now throw that good-for-nothing servant far away from me into the outer darkness where there will be a great misery and anguish. And it was all because he started off on a lie. When I say, let, let me just put it out there before I get into the rest of it yet, I want, I want to just throw this out there. If I say the word repentance, what's the first thing you think of? What, what comes to your mind when you hear the word repentance? What, ha- what does repentance actually mean? I want you to think about it. Repentance is simply changing your mind from a ruthless, nasty, hard father to a loving grace and mercy father. Change, that's repentance automatically. That's repentance. It's changing your mind. We often think of it as turning from sin. That's not repentance. Repentance is saying sin used to be fun. I thought it was fun, but now I realize it's not. That's repentance. Changing my mind and lining up with the kingdom is repentance, where we change our mind. We don't agree with it anymore. It comes down to agreements. Agreements, is, uh, agreements with Satan is sin and sin has consequences. But that's not it. Uh, that's not all of it. It's agreements with God is holiness and holiness, I mean, is righteousness and righteousness has rewards. Agreements with God is righteousness. You're agreeing with the Father. That's righteousness and righteousness has rewards. He will reward those who diligently seek him. Uh, is that Hebrews 4, 12? Uh, don't, quote, don't write that down. If you're, but it's, it's in Hebrews. The, the, the whole idea is that it's the righteousness of God. 
It's like, and that has rewards. So we start to line up with who God really is and what did he do through Jesus on the cross 2,020 years ago? Was my body also crucified with him like he says it was? Will we start to believe that the penalty was already paid, that I am free to live fully alive? Will we start to see that the penalty, even the curse of sin was paid for by Jesus? That I don't even have to agree with the curse of sin anymore. I am healed, redeemed, alive, and fully because of him. It's not because of me. It's because of him. He's a good, good father. Okay? Turn with me real quick yet. We've got two more passages I want to look at. And it's in Hosea 3. And I want you to see a good, good father. In Hosea 3, it's where Hosea redeems his wife. And I want you to catch this. Jesus, the the picture of this story in in chapter 3, well, the whole book of Hosea, but here in 3, the whole picture is that it's the same way Jesus has redeemed you and I. The same way God told Hosea to redeem his wife is the same way Jesus, Hosea is a picture of Jesus and his wife's a picture of you and I, by the way. You don't get the, you husbands don't get to claim Hosea here, okay? I'm just telling you. You don't get to claim that. Hosea is Jesus, okay? It was a type and figure of Jesus. And each one of us is a picture of his wife, Hosea's wife. So Jesus redeems you and I, okay? So that's the picture of it. This is just a type and figure of what Jesus was going to do. So it starts off in verse 1 and it says, And the Lord said to me, Go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods. I want to read that again. Even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love and other gods and love cakes of raisins. So I bought her for 165 grams of silver and nine bushels of barley. And I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. So will I also be to you. The Lord wanted Hosea to see this. So will I also be to you. Okay? God wanted him to know that this is the way I'm going to be to you also. He wanted him to do this for his wife, so am I going to do this for you. Okay. Then he goes this in verse 4. For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without a king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, with nothing to lean on, without ephod, the robe, or household gods. No statues, no household gods, no nothing. Okay. Then verse 5 is the kicker. Okay. He says, afterward... After all this, after what I'm just telling you, after you redeem your wife, after what I'm telling you, then this is what's going to happen. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, which is prophetically speaking about Jesus, by the way, David their king, and they, can't, they shall come in fear of the Lord and to his goodness. Ooh, ooh. They shall come in fear to the Lord and his goodness in these latter days. In the latter days. Are we in the latter days? Everything in latter days, from what I can understand through Scripture, is anything since Pentecost in the book of Acts to today is the latter days. We're in the latter. It's been ever since the Pentecost till today is the latter days. Okay? 
So afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God, and David their king, namely, prophetically speaking of Jesus, and they shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness. Now think about fearing his goodness instead of his wrath. Because it was poured out on Jesus on the cross. And now we can come in fear of his goodness. Or that's not this fear going, it's in awe. It's an awe-inspiring thing of his goodness. Can we in awe be inspired with his goodness? It's impossible unless, if we start off like that servant that only got one talent, that started off on the fact that God was just this mean, mean master. We can't even be excited about God's goodness when we start off on the base that God is this mean Mean master. In closing, I want us to look at one more. It's in Isaiah 54. Isaiah 54, verse 7. And it says, For a brief moment I deserted you, but with great compassion I will gather you let this sink in for a brief moment i deserted you when did that happen i know it's isaiah prophetically speaking forward to the coming of jesus and in a brief moment God turned his back, and I know there's a lot of theological things around that where, nah, it wasn't quite like that, it was like this. But listen, in all reality, God wouldn't look on the sin, and for a brief moment when he called out, Abba, Father, where art thou? You know, it, the whole idea is that just for a brief moment he turned his back. We were with Christ on the cross there 2,020 years ago. You and I were in the loins of that whole thing right there on that cross 2020 years ago we died with him that's all throughout corinthians and uh we don't have time to go into all that but he says but with great compassion i will gather you who's going to gather us he wants to gather us okay i want you to catch this with great compassion not with great anger not with great wrath But with great compassion, I will gather you. Then he says, in overflowing anger, for a moment I hid my face from you. He was angry with the Israelites. He was angry. At times God was angry. He hid his face. But now he says this, but with everlasting love, I will have compassion on you. Says the Lord, your, your Redeemer. With everlasting love, I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. Let that sink in. With everlasting love, I will have compassion on you. How long is everlasting? (laughs) Okay. Just put it in perspective for a second. How long is everlasting? (laughs) With everlasting love, I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. Then he goes on, he says, This is just like the days of Noah to me, as I swore that the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth. So I have sworn that I will not be angry with you. 
I'm just reading the Bible. I don't know what you're thinking, but listen, he says it. I have sworn that I will not be angry with you and will not rebuke you. Let that sink in. Then he goes on and he says this. For the mountains may depart. They may be blown up and the hills be removed. But my steadfast love shall not depart from you. My steadfast love will not depart from you. And my covenant of peace shall not be removed. Shall not be removed. Says the Lord who has compassion on you. Says the Lord who has compassion on you. Boom. (laughs) Says the Lord who has compassion on you. Listen, I want just to let these things sink in for a second, but this this is what I want us to see. Repentance is all about changing our mind. Repentance starts with what we already believe about God. Repentance starts with what we believe about God. Everything hinges from what we believe about God. As we saw in the story of the talents, as we saw in the man laying by the pool, what will we believe about God? What will we choose today to believe about God? Repentance is starting right there. If we have a negative concept, will we repent of it and believe the truth? Listen, that he loves you, he cares for you, he's your redeemer, he is passionate about you. The only one that wants you destroyed is the enemy. (laughs) It's the only one. Repentance equals changing your mind about who God is and about who God says you are. That's repentance. That is legit repentance. Changing your mind about who God is and about who God says you are. You're his child. He paid the way. He did everything for you. By the way, now I yeah, yeah. By the way, even even in the Old Testament, when when the blood was applied to the doorposts of the house that night when the death angel was going to pass over, whose idea was that? You know, okay, we know it was God's, right? It wasn't Moses' idea. He's just the one relayed the message. When that blood was applied to the doorpost, who was it for? Was it so the people could see it? Was everybody looking out to the windows to see if everybody had the blood applied? Who was it for? Yes, and the Father, because the Father was sending the death angel, and that Thing was got, that, that thing was going to pass over. And it was so the Father knew who believed in the blood. It was so the Father knew who believed in a good, good Father. It was so he knew who was going to agree that he was a good, good Father that night. Now we have that for all of eternity. Now we have that throughout the whole New Testament. Is the blood applied. If the blood is applied so the Father knows that you agree that he is a good, good father. 
Start on the basis of that concept, okay? These truths to his children will stand the test of time. Your freedom to choose is to believe or not believe that God is a good, good father. That's the freedom we have today. Yesterday we celebrated the freedom of this nation. Today, the freedom is in the blood. And in what we choose to believe about the blood and about the good, good father. We start on that basis of a good, good father. You have the freedom to choose that.